very humbling to think that there are people across the world listening to the talks. Makes you think twice about what you say, doesn't it, really? <laughs> How will this play in Egypt? How will this play in Peru, Ukraine? <laughs> Gosh. <clears throat> so today is very much a talk along the lines of all the talks we've had so far this year. Um, and I'll be referring back to various talks that we've heard. And um, it ties very much in with what Sheila was saying as well when she testified that she was going through a difficult time and going to hospital. Nobody likes going to hospital, but not only was God with her, but her group were praying for her. So today's title is still a working title. It's not a very good title. It's what I came up with, but call it what you will. Community Warfare. So we've been hearing a lot about the battles and the storms that we're in, in life. And I'm going to be just looking at the ways in which we, as a community, fight together. Because the good news is there is a storm out there but we're in it together. And we'll be looking at ways in which we've seen this done in the past in the church. And also, what does it mean for us in the 95% of our time? Remember, Jeremy was talking about the 95%, so we'll be looking at that too. I recently read a book called Paul, a biography by Tom Wright. Tom Wright is a very well-known theologian, also known as N.T. Wright, a wonderful man of God, He's a bishop, uh, archbishop. No, he's a bishop, not an archbishop. He was Bishop of Durham for a while. And um, he's also a theologian. So he digs into the word of God and brings it out in very easy to digest ways. It's wonderful stuff. And this book is amazing. Um, I've always loved Paul's story. I, when I first became a Christian, or I was actually thinking of becoming a Christian, my mum gave me a book called Saul of Tarsus, which covers the same sort of ground. But this is, goes into a lot, of the, a lot of the life of a first century scholar, such as Paul, and what he would have been up against, the kind of world he had to live in. And Paul spent a lot of his time, after he became Paul, Remember, he'd been a, a Pharisee, Saul, and he'd overseen the death of uh, Stephen and many other Christians. He'd persecuted the Christians, hounded them out of their homes and done horrible things, and then became a Christian when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Very dramatic transformation of his life. And it wasn't that he changed religion from one religion to another. No, he completely changed as an individual. And it's funny when you watch documentaries on Paul, a lot of people trying to work out what actually happened on the Damascus Road. He met Jesus. It was a powerful thing. There could have been a flash of lightning. Who knows? He was blinded for three days. Anyway, he met Jesus. But what you get throughout the book is how much Paul loved Jesus and knew Jesus loved him. It wasn't a question of all the theology he knew, which he did, and he wrote some amazing stuff, but I love Jesus because he first loved me. That's his message throughout his life. If you spoke to him on the day before he was executed, supposedly, we don't know, he would have probably said, my message is the glory of Jesus 
risen, powerful, and he loves me. Nothing more complicated than that. And in his time, he spent a lot of time in prison. Uh, and N.T. Wright talks a lot about what prison life was like in the first century. If you were arrested, you were sent to prison and you couldn't get out until either you paid a bribe or until you faced trial, which could have been several years after. And so it was a horrible place to stay. Uh, it was really grimy and grim. And you were often beaten up by the guards. You were just fair game. They would just kick you around. And throughout his life, Paul suffered a lot of stuff. He had a few storms in his life, metaphorical storms and literal storms. He was five times he was beaten with 39 lashes. This is all in 2 Corinthians. Three times he was beaten with rods. I don't know how many you know, beatings he got with rods, but it wasn't pleasant. He was stoned and left unconscious. There's a lovely uh, moment where he's stoned and they all leave him because they think he's dead. And then he gets up, shakes himself down, and walks away. And he says in one of his letters, thank you for all the care that you, you showed upon me when you lavished your love for me. And theologians have said, oh, he must have been suffering some kind of an illness. No, he wasn't. The guy had just been stoned. You don't get out of that in a, a day or two. He had to spend weeks convalescing. And Christian churches that he planted would look after him. He was shipwrecked three times. In the Bible, we only read about one in the book of Acts, but he says he was shipwrecked three times. He drifted in the open sea for 24 hours or more, probably holding on to driftwood or something. He faced rivers, ro robbers, city, country, false believers. He had hunger and thirst. He was cold and unclothed. He was falsely accused and imprisoned many, many times. And one of the times he was in prison for a fair amount of time was in Ephesus. And he really... N.T. Wright sort of expresses that he may well have had a really difficult time with his mental health at this point. He probably really struggled. And for those of you who have experienced depression, you would probably know what he was going through. He was really struggling. A lot of because the people who persecuted him were the people who should have known better. A lot of them were supposedly Christians. That's why he talks about false believers. So he found himself in terrible situations, all at the hands of men. But you know what? He didn't actually blame the people at all. Daniel spoke about the storms and about riding like an eagle on the crest of the storm. And Paul did that kind of thing quite a lot. He faced those storms and he experienced the pain and the depression and the hurt and the betrayal, but he never blamed the people. In a sense, he rode like wings of eagles. He learned to hold on in the storm. Mark Baden isn't the only one who has these fancy things. He told me how to download them. They're great. I love them. How do you hold on in the storm? How do you, how do you surf the waves of the storm like an eagle? It's not about the presented issues. What is behind the storms? And so Paul had every reason to feel aggrieved at individuals who'd betrayed him. And let's be fair, quite a lot of um, civic authorities as well 
in one town, it was a bunch of uh, gold merchants and silver merchants who were building idols, and he took their trade away from them. So they, their commercial viability had all gone. Uh, and if you go to that town now, you'll still see the idols. They're all still there. Tourist trade is booming in idols, strangely. Um, but Paul knew he didn't have to worry about the people. That wasn't the problem. That wasn't the battle. And Daniel quoted this at the end of Mark's talk last week. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. When I first became a Christian, I was a young, arrogant teenager. Um, I'm still young and arrogant, though I'm not a teenager. And I was so interested in the dark forces because, you know, it's Hollywood, isn't it? You've got the dark side of the force. Dum, 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 dum. Everyone's obsessed with Darth Vader. He's such an amazing character. He just looks at someone and puts his hand on them and goes, and they're dead. And so you think, wow, how exciting. There's a power that we can do battle with. And you think you're going to, you know, but actually, it's a kind of a waste of time looking at that because Jesus did away with all that. He beat the powers of darkness. And sometimes people think of Jesus and Satan as on an equal par. That's not the case at all. The battle has been won. The victory is overcome. We just have to clear up and mop up. And sometimes, yes, he kicks back. But ultimately, remember... You, dear children, are from God and have overcome the enemy's uh, evil forces because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So what do we do? We focus, firstly, on Jesus. Remember Paul's philosophy? Jesus is the risen Lord of the universe. I love him because he first loved me. Now, I don't want to do down all the amazing stuff he wrote uh, uh, you know, the, the epistles are incredible. The book of Romans alone, you could spend a lifetime studying it. And Tom Wright, incidentally, when he, you think, you know, what's his background in writing this book about Paul? Well, when everyone else was busy playing knockdown ginger as children or running around uh, trying to nick policemen's helmets or whatever, he was studying Paul. And when they grew up and they went to the pub and they discovered girls and they went dancing, he dug more into the work of Paul. He was obsessed with Paul. So this book that he's just written at the age of, he's in his 70s, is like the culmination of a life's work. But that's basically Paul's message. I love him because he first loved me. I love it. It's so simple. But also, a lovely piece of uh, Paul's writing here, Jesus Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Because the powers of darkness, they didn't know what was going on. Jesus was being beaten. He was being whipped. And the powers of darkness thinking, wickwids in, this is amazing. This guy is the Lord of the universe, but he's being whipped and beaten. Watch out, guys, he might fight back. And he didn't. He didn't only not fight back, he didn't even answer back. He didn't say a word. And they nailed him to a cross. 
And they said, well, okay, uh, Lucifer, what do we do now? I don't know. Uh, keep him there. Right, we'll keep him there. Where are the angels? I don't know. They're not there. Jesus could have commanded legions of angels, hundreds and thousands of angels, to whip him off the cross, but he didn't. He was there because he was the perfect sacrifice for everything we've ever done wrong. And every rebellious thought we've ever had was nailed to that cross. And the enemy must have seen him come down and think, aye, aye, there's something weird going on here. He's dead. Okay, make sure that stone is as securely rolled across that tomb as possible and seal it and put Roman guards in front of it. Well, we know the story. He rose again. And through the death and resurrection of Jesus, he made a public spectacle of the forces of darkness. So we don't need to worry about them. Yes, they appear from time to time. Yes, it gets a bit, you know, hairy, but what the heck. Remember what John said a couple of weeks ago? For those of us who feel like we're in prison, we can escape because God has placed a strong tower, a lighthouse, into which we can find refuge. How do we do that? Well, Hugh Osgood spoke to the leaders a while back and he gave us a clue, a very important clue. There was a king, a really bad king in Israel, terrible king. We won't go into why he was bad. He was a terrible, terrible, awful, awful king. Dreadful guy. Um, and uh, he was called Ahab. But he did one good thing. He fought a battle against the king of Syria. And the king of Syria was one of those boasty kings who just sort of got on everyone's nerves. And everyone fought battles against him. And so Ahab thought, right, I'm going to go into battle. And someone said, no, no, not so fast. You need to talk to your leadership first. Oh, OK. So he consulted with his elders. 1 Kings 20, verse 7, Ahab, the king, consulted his elders. Now, normally, Ahab consulted his wife, who was called Jezebel. That was never, ever a good thing to do. She was not a good piece of news. I won't go into that. You can read all about her. But he consulted this one time. He consulted the elders. And they gave him the courage to fight the Syrians. So. We face storms, we face battles. I was in a conference yesterday and one of the speakers said, it's incredible because Jesus gave us one promise that you never see on fridges. In this world, you will have troubles. Oh Lord, I claim that, that promise. I want those troubles, bring them to me. Can you imagine that? In this world, you will have troubles, but take heart because I have overcome the world, okay? And so it's very easy on our own to feel completely against it. But you know what? We're in a community. And together, we have the mind of Christ. That's what was so encouraging about Sheila's testimony, because she was in hospital. And sometimes you're never more lonely than when you're in hospital facing the unknown future. I understand that. I get that. But we are a body. We are a ministry. Together, we have the answer. On our own, we will struggle. But that's why God has placed us in fellowship with another, one another. And there's a really key element that we do together to build up our confidence, 
and our strength and our hope when we're facing battles, and that is prayer and worship. And uh, I'd like to call out Tanya, please, who's going to tell us a little bit about how... Well, let's, let's first of all ask you, Tanya, thank you for coming. Uh, I've got my questions here on a sheet which I wrote out this morning. Tell us about the storm you were facing a year ago. Um, a year ago, I was diagnosed, I had a lump, and I went to the hospital and I was diagnosed with um, cancer or lymphoma. And how did you um, feel? So, yeah, I think, yeah, it was fearful and worried. And it was, it was one of my big fears was getting cancer and having to have chemo and all that kind of thing. What happened then? What, what was your um, decision? How did you want to deal with this thing? Um, I mean, I asked people to pray straight away, but one morning I woke up about five o'clock in the morning and I just felt like God said it's a battle and, and the battle is fear. It's not, it's not that the cancer's not a battle, but it wasn't like a big battle with cancer. It was mm. like fear um, and that I needed to enlist warriors um, and someone had had a picture of, it was me in the desert with this black little creature thing and I was bigger than it and I was chasing it, which was, that was an encouraging picture, but the next picture was of um, me chasing this thing, but with all these warriors. Brilliant. And they felt that that was people, but also the hospital staff, like everybody, not necessarily even the church. Great. So, wow. yeah, so, so then I set up a WhatsApp group with people that I felt would be, people that, yeah, for different reasons, I felt God showed me to ask. To invite. To invite. And it was, um, the focus was, I think it was mostly declare, like asking God, declaring, you know, hearing what God said and then declaring it and then asking them to get behind me. Mm. But then there was times when I might have felt weak and then they yes, yes. encouraged me as well. So. It, was an, it was an amazing group. I was part of it. And um, you got a lot of teaching there. <laughs> There's a lot of really rich stuff coming through from people. Um, inspirational sort of, uh, I don't know, bits of the Bible, which you know I would take away and be encouraged by during the day. Okay, so Tanya was facing this battle, but we're in a sense, we're all in the battle together. And so we all enjoyed being part of this group and joining in prayer for her. What other things helped? Um, yeah, just people, like, they'd share songs on there mm. or they'd have words that they felt were from God, say prophetic words. So I would make a, I made a book, actually, which I've been doing for a while, but I kind of armed myself with it as a weapon. So I just wrote down all the, mm. the other words directly from the Bible that people had given me or prophetic words over my life. And I just, I'd read them a lot. Um, the Simmons wow. family coming over to worship. It was, mm. it was a really uplifting time that I'd really look forward to. And as a whole family, like we'd join as a family. That was really mm. uplifting. Worship, thankfulness, being thankful for yeah. everything. Because I can be a bit moany and complaining sometimes. <laughs> but but faced, with, with, faced with lymphoma, you <laughs> well, can no be choice. forgiven for being moany, I yeah. would think, from time to time. But you didn't choose to be moany. You chose to face this with God and with others. Mm. Um, and what? To, just tell us, finish the story off for us. You're better. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, so yeah. That, that was an amazing thing as well. I mean, God had said he'd see me through. Like, there was various pictures and things that he was going to see me through, and it was going to be for the whole family as well, mm. not just me. And he's just done so much. He's changed a lot in terms of that fear. Um, just, I just know that I'm loved and that I'm with him. Brilliant. And, and the cancers, there was, that's all clear as well. And Praise God. A few tests, so thank you, God, for that. Thank you. Woo!
You see, yeah, ooh. Okay. With things like cancer, um, and you know, I haven't faced that battle myself, but you look at it and of course, you have diagnoses and things are very scary, but the thing that Tanya recognized was the biggest battle was the battle against fear. And when we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but you know, the powers of darkness, yada, 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 the key is to recognize they are very small, actually. And things sometimes we face every day. Shame, embarrassment, fear of what we might look like, and when we're together in the battle, it's immense. It is a wonderful thing. And God calls us to stand with each other at times like this. And I'm going to ask Amanda to come up and uh, tell us a couple of things. Yay! <laughs> Isn't she lovely? Yay! <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so I was thinking about uh, warfare and what does that battle look like in ordinary, the ordinary day-to-day, -day, the 95%, as Jeremy was saying. Um, maybe when we're awake in the night, maybe when we're at home on our own, because we're not always in community or travelling or at work. Um, and I was thinking about that, I remembered something. Um, so a few years ago, we went on a birthday trip for Jeremy's birthday uh, into London. And we like to go by bus because you can see more. So we're on the bus and we noticed a growing kerfuffle on the bus, uh, pointing and laughing and... Uh, the cars outside were honking their horns and people were whistling and crowding at the window and we were like thinking, what's going on in here? Um, so outside there were about 300 or more cyclists, men and women of all ages and fitness and physique, cycling through London completely naked uh, for some cause. And I, when I was thinking about this, Dave said, I was saying, oh, can you remember what cause it was? And he said, no, don't, don't Google naked anything. Just don't do that. So I don't know what it was, and that's not the point. Um, but 15 minutes later, we got off the bus further down the road. They'd all gone on their way. And there was a lone female cyclist, naked, parking her bike against a lamppost, looking very lost. And she was asking people if they saw which way the group had gone. <laughs> <laughs> and we left her going into a newsagent to ask for help. So she was alone, uncovered, and she was vulnerable. And she'd lost the community that she belonged to. And that's not what she'd planned to be doing when she set out that morning. So the difference is, if we have people alongside us, like Dave said, in the visible battles, we were all aware of Tanya's, um, or in the day-to-day -day things, sometimes when we're on our own, 
we are covered when we have people alongside us. Um, a few years ago, we were part of a um, prayer group called Peaceful Minds, which was particularly praying for mental health in this church community. And sometimes we still meet together. And God gave me a picture of someone sending up a flare. And he talked to me about there being many reasons why we don't uh, let other people know that we're struggling or we're battling. Um, it's a bit of a last resort thing of flair, isn't it? It's kind of the last thing we do. Um, so maybe we think, um, well, not, what if it's not that serious after all? I, I won't tell anyone. I'll just sort of muddle on by myself. What if there are other people around me who have more need than me? I've lived with this for ages anyway. Uh, what if people think I'm making a fuss? Or what if I raise the alarm and then I have a greater need later? Or what if I run out of flares? Um, so, as Dave mentioned, Hugh Osgood prompted us to be watchful. And I think that's for ourselves mm. and for each other. So that could be fears, challenges, niggles. I think that they are battles too. Um, so a couple of things that I do and I notice uh, in myself, um, if I'm fearful or I suddenly think, gosh, I'm dreading something, what is that feeling? And that doesn't belong to what my nature is meant to be uh, in Jesus. Um, I do make myself, make myself be thankful I make myself do it, write it down, speak it out, or when I'm running, I just say things until I, I can't think of any more. Or I worship when I don't fancy it. You know, sometimes if Dave and I can't imagine that we ever have a little niggle between ourselves. <laughs> but sometimes, you know what, we just stick some worship on and you just think, oh yeah, what, what, what was that even about? This is ridiculous. Um, so these are real, real strategies. They sound like, you know, ordinary stuff, but actually they're really powerful for us to do and to fight those battles when we are on our own. And also, I think, to find the people who look out for you. Um, we are not designed to pedal alone or uncovered. Oh, man. Woo. Thank you, Amanda. Sometimes God calms the storm. Sometimes God lets the storm rage and calms you. I like that. Yeah, it's an interesting one. The... Um, the thing about focusing on the everyday, because sometimes we do minimalize the difficulties we go through. God has placed us in a very powerful community here. We are so privileged to know you guys. Seriously, I am so thankful for you, all of you. And 
When Amanda talked about Thanksgiving, I was reading a study recently by a psychologist in America. The very act of thinking about something to be thankful for, not even the thanking itself, but thinking of something to be thankful for, releases serotonin into the bloodstream, which is a natural antidepressant. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, aren't we? It's 2017 that discovery was found. I mean, goodness. God wrote about it some many millennia ago. Be thankful in all things. And if you don't feel like it, yes, you can stick on worship, but also you can go talk to someone and pray together with them and hang out with your group and say, I, I am struggling. Put up a flare. The difficulty with flares are it's dark. Flares usually go up when it's dark, and suddenly there's a burst of light, and you feel exposed and embarrassed. But actually, there can be no more powerful thing than putting up the flare. And not everyone needs to know about it. You don't have to stand up here on a Sunday morning saying, hey, I'm struggling. No, you just go to those who you love and respect, the healthy relationships into which God has placed us, and say, I need help. And I'm going to close with this story, and we're going to sing a song next. This story was very, very humbling to witness. A um, couple of years ago at Christmas, a young boy called Jackson, who is, I think, four years old, his sister was six, uh, became seriously ill with E. coli poisoning, and he was on life support. And he was the son of the director of music, the sort of producer of um, Bethel Music. So his dad was in a very, very powerful church, and they all prayed. And being Bethel, they got a worldwide audience, so they got everyone else to pray. And I remember praying. Uh, it was Christmas time, 2017, I think it was. It was really, really difficult for the family. And not only was Jackson ill, his sister started to have the same symptoms. Um, organ, multiple organ failure. And he was being kept alive, barely. And there was one night when Jackson's dad phoned... the songwriter, Jonathan David Helzer, who I quoted last time I spoke, actually. There seems to be a pattern emerging here. And Jonathan David took the call, and he heard his dad say, I think he's going to die tonight. Let's prepare for it. And the world was praying for Jackson. I've never met these people. I don't know why I'm so invested in it emotionally, but I am. He's a little boy, and they sent pictures of him in the intensive care. It's a scary sight for any parent or any grandparent. But uh, Jonathan David put the phone down. And he, he, he came face to face, not with the situation itself, but with his own unbelief. And he was saying to himself, Jackson's going to die tonight. He's going to die. All medical evidence points to the fact that he will no longer survive. And sometimes when we're in our darkest places, the giant of unbelief rears its ugly head and says, you're not going to get through this. You're not going to survive. It's, it's curtains for you. It's going to be difficult. 
And that's the end of it. And usually four o'clock in the morning, isn't it? You get those thoughts. But the world was praying. And at that time, Jonathan David made a choice. He said, I'm not going to listen to the giant of unbelief. I'm going to write a song that declares God's goodness in the face of this giant. And that's the song we're going to sing this morning. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. I raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder. You're going to hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated. The king is alive. I raise a hallelujah with everything inside of me. I raise a hallelujah and I will watch the darkness flee. I raise a hallelujah in the middle of the mystery. I raise a hallelujah. Fear, you lost your hold on me. And as he sang this, his faith began to rise. Jackson did survive. There's a wonderful YouTube video. I won't show it. I'll send you the link through Naomi later on. But basically, Jonathan David introducing the song in the context of the battle they were fighting. And as you see them singing, you see the dad holding Jackson. Jackson's got his hand raised. Jackson and his sister survived gloriously to fight against the battle of unbelief themselves. I believe they faced that battle because they are going to become warriors. But they won't be warriors on their own. You don't fight a battle on your own. You fight in line with everyone else. Peter.